worship team. This morning, I'm going to ask you to look in your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 6. Proverbs chapter 6, pretty much in the middle of your Bible. If you don't have a Bible, there's a blue Bible in front of you that you can use. This is the wisdom literature of the Old Testament. And as I said a couple weeks ago when we did Proverbs, it's like living along the grain. Of God has built the world in a certain way, and you want to live along the grain. You don't want to go against the grain because that's how you get splinters. This slide is a slide that many of us have seen in some form or fashion because we live in Wilmington, and you go to Carolina Beach, Wrightsville Beach, Cary Beach, and you go down to the end of a, of a public access, and there's some kind of sign posted about rip currents. And most of you are familiar with rip currents. There's some kind of sandbar that's sort of just under where the waves are breaking. You can't see it. But what happens is the waves break over the sandbar. And then in order for the water to come back out, it needs to find sort of an, an access. And if there's a weak part in the sandbar, the water tends to go towards that weak part and create a current you got all this water coming in, and then it funnels to the, the sand, where the crack is in the sandbar, and it rushes out, and it's called a, a rip current. And the reason they have this warning up here is because, for the most part, as a swimmer, unless you're, you know, you're, you're, your eye is sort of trained for it, you can't see it. But you know it if you're in it. You find yourself saying, hey, I can't swim against this current. It's sucking me out. I'm, I might drown here. And so the word here from Proverbs 6 is, think of it as a a sign that says danger, rip currents ahead. And the, the writer, the father who's speaking to the son, is trying to say to his son, hey, there's some rip currents out here in life. I've seen them. Maybe I've even been caught up in them. I've nearly drowned in them, so I'm, I'm giving them to you so you can look out on the horizon and say, hey, what, what are the dangers out there I should be aware of? What are the rip currents that might drown my life? So I'm going to read Proverbs chapter 6, 1 through 19, and then verse 32. And as I do, you just try to identify at least four rip currents that are here. Let's stand together at the reading of God's word. We'll begin with chapter 6, verse 1. My son, if you put up security for your neighbor, have given your pledge for a stranger, if you've ensnared in the words of your mouth, caught in the words of your mouth, then do this, my son, and save yourself, for you have come into the hand of your neighbor. Go, hasten, plead urgently with him. Give your eyes no sleep and your eyelids no slumber. Save yourself like a gazelle, from the hand of the hunter, like a bird from the hand of the fowler. Go to the ant, O sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise. Without having any chief officer or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you rise up from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. A worthless person, a wicked man, goes about with crooked speech, winks with his eyes, signals with his feet, points with his finger. With perverted heart, he devises evil, continually sowing discord. 
Therefore, calamity will come upon him suddenly. In a moment, he will be broken beyond healing. There are six things that the Lord hates. Seven that are an abomination to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, and one who sows discord among brothers. Verse 32. He who commits adultery lacks sense. He who does it destroys himself. You may be seated. Let's take a moment together to reflect on God's word. In my personal Bible reading uh, this week, I was reading through the great chapter in Romans, Romans 8. And most of us are familiar with the first verse. Therefore, what does it say? There is now no condemnation. I mean, if you don't have that one memorized, you got to today. That's the good news. I mean, Paul's been talking for seven chapters about our condition, our sinful condition, God's grace. And then he just makes this huge announcement. Therefore, there's now no condemnation. Praise the Lord. But the, the verses I got stuck on were verses 5 and 6. I'll just read them to you. Romans 8, 5, and 6. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. To set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. So four times in two verses, Paul talks about setting your mind. So we want to do we do want to remember and keep at the front there is now no condemnation. You are free. But now that you're free, there's something you've got to do. There's effort you've got to give. You see, you're not earning your salvation, you're responding to your salvation. It's a big difference. And that response requires you and me to set our minds. The Greek means to exercise your mind. And we're exercising our minds today by looking at this Old Testament wisdom literature and saying, I'm heading out into the world and there are rip currents. And I want to set my mind on what are the rip currents and what does God see as potential places where I could drown? And what can I do about that? And there's four. First of all, the dangers of debt. You're already like, oh, no, he's going to step on my toes. I can tell it. Just reading God's word. The dangers of debt, the dangers of deadbeats, or being uh, a, a sluggard, the dangers of discord, and the dangers of adultery. They almost all got a D there. Dangers of debt, deadbeats, discord, and adultery. So let's just kind of go through those. All of these won't have equal application, but is there some place that you're not paying attention? Is there some, some undertow you're beginning to feel right now that God's using this word to say, hey, you're just about ready to get sucked out. Let's not move in that direction. First of all, here's the very first thing he talks about in verses 1 through 5. Here's a very dangerous rip current which has drowned 
literally drowned many people. If you put up security for your neighbor, you've given your pledge for a stranger, you've made a promise, your words have ensnared you. You, you've put your assets up for another person's debt. That's a danger. That's a, a rip current. It, now, it's not a salvation issue. It's a wisdom issue. The difference. Proverbs eleven fifteen. Whoever puts up security for a stranger will surely suffer harm. But he who hates striking hands in pledge is secure. Proverbs seventeen eighteen. One who lacks sense gives a pledge and puts up security in the presence of his neighbor. Today, we would call this particular practice co-signing. There's some poor person, probably your family member, and they've gone to the bank, and the bank says, sorry, Mr. Phillips, you're not qualified for that loan. So I go find my dad. Now, the bank, who does this all the time, can already tell Mr. Phillips can't pay. But I'm going to go to my dad and hope that he thinks I can pay. And you could do this with a friend. You could do it with a business person. There's lots of different ways you can do this. But according to the Proverbs, if you do this, then you lack good judgment. You're, you get caught in a rip current because your fam family or friend member maybe doesn't can't pay. Your business partner suddenly can't pay. And when they can't, guess who owns the debt? Hmm, you do. You, you've lost what you gave or you now owe something that you didn't purchase. Really, if you go into any kind of debt, you're, you're prom making promises for a future that you can't control. Proverbs 22, 7 famously says this about debt. The borrow, borrower is what? Slave. What a strong word. The borrower is slave to the lender. The borrower is uh, challenged by the lender. I mean, you know, there's a lot of different ways you could have put this that sort of softened it. But the wise man says, no, when, when you borrow, you, you become enslaved. So the wise counsel of the Proverbs warns us when you borrow money, when you're, you're chaining yourself to someone else, could be a bank, could be a person could be a business partner, could be a parent. No, no child wants to be enslaved to the parent. No parent wants to have that kind of relationship with their child because when I do that, it, it changes the nature of my relationship with my son or daughter, the wise man is saying. So Proverbs warns us that debt changes us, and I might say it chains it chains us. So Proverbs 6 is clearly warning about this, but if you've already gotten sucked into this fast-moving current, I love this part, verses 3 through 5, the wise man provides a vivid illustration, just not some instruction. He's looking around and saying, what can I help them see that they may see it's like this? You notice what it says? Listen to the urgency. I hasten, plead urgently, Give no sleep to your eyes. Save yourself. Free yourself. I mean, he just says it over and over and over again. You're in chain, and you've got to do something about it. You've got to rescue yourself out of this chain. And then he picks up this picture, what I love. Save yourself like a gazelle running from a hunter. 
I mean, they would have seen this many times just being in this kind of uh, the land that they lived in. And so the wise man says, hey, they're going to see this happen many, many times, and I want them to remember, hey, this is what happens if you're, if you're going to get chased down by debt. So I want to show you a little video. Uh-oh. Now let's just stop right here. Well, you already know, right? Do you not? What's going to happen? Debt is chasing the little gazelle. Student loan is chasing the college student. The new car buyer, the person who wants to buy a new car, is being chased by the salesman. And I'm going to track this little gazelle down before he or she gets into this massive debt. And, and the wise man is trying to say, you've got to run. Like You've you got to get away from this like a gazelle has got his life on the line. It, you can't just say, well, I'm trotting away. Hope I don't get caught. No, you'll get caught. So let's keep it up. Oh, no. This is not really what you should watch in church, is it? Because I'm not paying attention to debt as it's coming towards me. Here comes the car salesman. Oh, no. Here comes MasterCard. Oh, no. Oh, and his other brother debt is coming, too. Let's both get him. MasterCard and Visa are after you. Oh, and you, what's this gazelle? Hey, guys, can we reason together? Uh, let's do something. No, I've got to run like my life depends on it because his life does depend on it. And thankfully in this video, because I couldn't show any other in church, <laughs> uh, he gives up. Isn't that great? I, I, want you, I want that picture, just like the wise man, it's got to burn in your imagination. You've got to think this because it happens all the time. I mean, every week I'm getting cards, you know, envelopes from people about sign, for, sign up for this new card. I mean, you get it, right? It's, all, it's just everywhere all the time. And in our culture, it's become, well, that's how everyone does it. And again, I'm not saying it's not a, it's not a salvation issue. It's a wisdom issue. And I want you to know I've personally seen people drown in this. My mother was one of them. They just didn't make good decisions at a critical point. They could pay for it monthly, but they couldn't pay for it. Is that, there's a difference between that. You know that, don't you? And when my dad lost his job, it wasn't pretty. So my mom starts working 18 hours a day. And I remember this. I was just so young. I didn't understand this. Maybe I was in ninth grade sometime, 10th grade. And you could just tell she was wearing tiredness like a coat. So tired, Paul. Here's what I said with all the wisdom of a ninth, ninth grader. Why don't you just go to bed early? <laughs> I mean, my old mother up with me she looked at me and said Paul I'm the kind of tired no amount of sleep can fix never forget it I mean I don't know why she got cancer at 51 but a lot of times you get cancer from stress she died a year later so I've watched it 
And maybe you, you, can, you think you can swim out of the current. I don't know. I'm just saying, here's what the wise man is saying. You think you can deal with it, but you get sucked out. And then suddenly you're in a place you can't, you can't get away from. And, and if you're in that place, run like your life depends on it away from all the dangers of debt. Second, the danger of deadbeats or being a sluggard, verses 6 through 11. I needed to use deadbeat so it all rhymed together, but sluggard is the word that the psalmist used or the Proverbs use, verses 9 and 10. How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty, it comes on you. It's like the cheetah comes on you. You're not paying attention. Proverbs actually says quite a bit about being a sluggard. And I want to be careful here because you and I could think being a sluggard just looks like somebody who's lazy and is on the couch all day, which could be. But there are other ways you can be a sluggard. Here's what one commentator said that I thought was good. For the sluggard, there's always the need to do something other than the task at hand. Oh, now. You, see, you thought, I'm, I'm good with this one, Paul. I'm checking out. I'm all right. No, see, for the sluggard, there's always a need to do something else than the task at hand. Something always seems to get in front of the real work to be, got, to be done. It could be taking a nap or it could be getting really busy doing something else. So you never make meaningful progress. You know somebody like this? You're like... <laughs> when I was in college and exam time came around... I could not study in my apartment. I really couldn't study in my apartment anytime, but definitely not when exam time came around. And I don't know if you're like this. I didn't take good care of my apartment unless it was exam time, <laughs> right? I'm sitting there, and I don't really want to study anatomy, exercise physiology, business management, whatever it was. And I don't really care about how clean my bathroom is. But right then, i got to clean my bathroom. i got to do anything I can to avoid the most important thing. You ever done this? So I've got to put myself in a place where that's the only thing I can do. So I went to the Furman University Science Library. I never went to the Science Library except for these times. I had no temptation to read the books in the Science Library. I didn't have any temptation to clean the Science Library. I was just there to study. And so sometimes we just need to say, I can't seem to do the task at hand. I busy myself with a bunch of other things, so I've got to put myself in a different place. A second characteristic of a sluggard, whoever is slothful will roast his game. They hunt the game, but they can't get around. Whoever is slothful will not roast his game. So they hunt the game, but they can't cook it. They start a project, but they can't what? Oh, you familiar with this? Great guns. Oh, I'm going to go for this. 
but it's just a lot of halfway projects. That's a sluggard. They, again, they look busy because they're always starting projects, but they never get to the end. It's a kind of sluggishness. Here's another one, Proverbs 22, 13. The sluggard says, there's a line outside. I'll be killed in the streets. See, for the sluggard, the risks are always too great. I mean, I know I should do this, but, I mean, you don't know what might happen out there. So I've got to sit back. And until all conditions are finally met, that I know nothing bad could ever happen to me, then I've got to sit back. That's, that's, that's a, being a sluggard. Always rationalizing. Maybe this is a phrase that you use. As soon as, blank, then I'll get to. That's being a sluggard. These are people who live their whole lives just about ready to start. You know somebody like that? Their whole lives are right at the starting line. but They, ne- they never really go for it. Worst characteristic of a sluggard, Proverbs 26, 16, last one. The sluggard is wiser in his own eyes than seven men. Seven is a number of completion in the Bible. So if you have a completely wise group of people to give you instruction, you think, I'm smarter than most of these people. Sluggards are people who can't be wrong. Solution, again, go from a gazelle to an ant. Verses 6 through 8. Go to the ant. You got ants in your house, you got ants in your yard, you got ants everywhere, just pay attention to the ant. What does the ant do? Verses 6 through 8. Consider her ways, be wise. No chief, no officer, no ruler. She prepares her bread in the summer, gathers her food while the food is there so that when there are lean times, she's ready. Just pay attention to the ant. The ant has 250,000 brain cells. Sounds like a lot until you see a human has 86 billion. (laughs) So I've got 86 billion, and I need to go to the ant. Because he or she's able to do something that somehow I can't make myself do. They're they're diligent. They're proactive. They see that there are rainy days ahead. They they get out and get after it even when all conditions aren't met perfectly. They're they're not somebody who busies themselves with a bunch of trivial things and they never get to anything meaningful. They don't just start projects. They finish projects. They're not just about ready to start all the time. They're somebody who does something like the ant. So let me stop here and just ask on a different level. Are you a spiritual sluggard? I just can't seem to get started. I mean, I know I've got to have time for God, but I mean, Paul, you don't know how busy I am. Oh, I've started a hundred Bible reading plans, but two or three days weekend, I'm done. This is the busy season. You ever said that? I mean, I can't wait for school to start, Pastor Paul, because, I mean, when I get my kids back in school, then I'll have time. 
Always at the starting line, never, never moving out, never doing anything. See, the pace of our culture is like a massive rip current. All of us are caught into it. And if, you, if you're not careful, you can suck your soul out. And you won't think you're drowning, but you're drowning in trivia. A perfectly wise man did actually come to some friends and say, hey guys, you might be gaining the whole world, but you're losing your soul. Don't do that. That was Jesus to his disciples. Dangers of discord, the third one, verses 12 through 19. This is a powerful rip current that can pull actual multiple people out into a deep end. That's why the Lord says he hates it. The six things the Lord hates. One, the last one, someone who sows discord among the congregation. Somebody who stirs up conflict in a community. And here's how they do it. He tells you crooked speech, verse 12. They take the truth and twist it or spin it. Familiar with that? Any news show you can go to. I take it and then I sort of use it for my own purposes. It's not quite the truth. I've just used it for my advantage. Or some body language. I wink, shuffle my feet. I signal to everybody in the crowd. Hey, this person who's talking, he's an idiot. I I roll my eyes. Whatever it is to signal to everybody else that this person, they're a fool. You shouldn't talk to them. Start sowing discord. Or, verse 14 and 19, they sow discord. They plant something. They plant an idea in the mind of somebody. It's kind of just whisper some piece of gossip, some piece of half-truth, some question that you shouldn't have a question about. Where did this start? Genesis 3. I mean, did God really say? See, if, if Satan can get you and me starting to question the truth of God's word, what's going to happen next? Every time. I'm going to start questioning God himself. Satan sows discord, and he ripped all of humanity out to sea why God hates it. I've always found it interesting in the list of character qualities of an elder. 1 Timothy 3. A lot of these you'd say, this seems right and fit. One of them, not quarrelsome. In other words, you might be doctrinally sound, but if you're quarrelsome about it, you're not going to be a good leader. You ever been in that kind of situation? This guy... This guy's so smart. I mean, he's got it all down, but somehow when he communicates it, ooh, it's sandpaper. So great. You can do a lot of things, but you can't be in this leadership position because you sow discord. Proverbs 18.21, a great memory verse. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Consider teams you're on. A family, a church, a business, a sporting team. 
When, when you come in, are you giving life or death by what you say? Dad, you're walking into your family. Are you, are you giving life or giving death? Danger of discord. It can, it can rip out a soul, rip out a family. Finally, verse 32, the dangers of adultery. Don't have a lot of time here, but he who commits adultery lacks sense, which is true, but then he wants to tighten that up, I feel like. He who does it doesn't just lack sense. What does it say? Destroys himself. I want to put adultery and lust in the same category here, not just physical adultery with somebody else that you're not married to, but lust of any kind. And the reason I want to couple those two things, and I feel comfortable about coupling those two, two things, is because, why? Jesus coupled those two things. Remember that? You have heard it said you should not commit adultery, but I say to you, everyone who looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery in her heart. So I feel pretty confident putting these two together. And up until chapter 5, the man has been telling his son, some generic get wisdom kind of comments. But in chapter 5, he makes an immediate turn to here's a particular way, and he spends two and a half chapters talking about one subject, and this is the subject. That's a lot. 31 chapters in Proverbs, and the very first thing he wants to mention with two and a half chapters is about sexual temptation. Because you think you can get by it, and it'll suck your soul out. It's like he's talking to his son, and at this point, he sort of like grabs his shoulders. Son, this is one of the strongest rip currents you can ever be caught in. You've got to avoid this. When you do, you save yourself. You save your family. You might save a whole nation an enormous amount of pain. Just in the next chapter, chapter 7, 26, many are the victims she has brought down. Her slain are a mighty throng. Her house is a highway to the grave. He who lusts lacks sense. He who does it destroys himself. Think for a moment. The strongest man in the world, Samson. He literally destroyed himself. The man after God's own heart, David. He destroyed his family. Solomon, his son, the wisest man in the world, destroyed a nation. Yourself, your family, your nation is, is, can be sucked out in this one thing. And yet I cannot tell you the stories because they're private to me of men and women who've come to me and said, I thought I could get away with it. I didn't know anybody would find out. And a computer comes up, a phone message comes up, something happens and bingo. Your life just gets sucked away. Please, college students, I know a lot of you are here. I know how you think, oh, this 
this I can get away with. It's just my season. Sow my oats, right? Reap destruction. It may not seem like it right now, but someday you'll find yourself way out to sea saying, how did I get here? How did I get here? So you've got to wake up and you've got to set your mind. It's not something that happens automatically. It's not, it doesn't happen when you wake up and say, Lord, help me today, and then you go through your day. You've got you to gotta think about these things. You've got to say, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to relook at Proverbs 6 tomorrow morning. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wake up for a week, listen to this song from Psalm 90. Imagine if you did that every week. That was the first thing you did every morning. You listened to that little song that we sang or we listened to. You see what would happen? You'd be, you'd be been pushing God's word into your mind and say, so when I get out here and I have a tendency to, to, to blow up with my mouth, I, I reel that back in. I have a tendency to look too long or in the wrong direction. I'm going to reel that back in. Tempted to buy this thing I can't afford. I'm going I'm to reel it back in because I've set my mind. Set my mind. I want you to be sure of this. How much you fail in one of these four things, there is now no condemnation. You got to have that buried all the way at the bottom. So you don't think your performance gets God's good favor for you. We want to live along the grain of the universe. He's given us wisdom. Let's, let's choose to follow. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you so much for wisdom in an unwise culture that we can say, okay, this, this is what I'm setting my mind on. I'm not going to try to live according to the world, but according to you. Help us. Help us not fool ourselves. Help us not lie to ourselves. Help us not say something like, well, that doesn't apply to me when it really does. Just to see ourselves honestly. Help us to set our minds on you this week. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing our closing song.